Well, good morning. Good to be back after a week off. Uh, we're able to go down and visit with Wendy's parents, which we don't get to do very, as much as we used to be able to. Um, and uh, had a good time just hanging out with family. And uh, so thank you for allowing us that time to get away. Uh, we did listen uh, to the service on the way down uh, to Baltimore. So um, sounded like a wonderful message uh, from Pastor Ron. And, uh, and, and it was good that he also noticed that more people sit on this side than on this side. So just, it, it validated me just a little bit there. <laughs> um, this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, serving. And uh, this is one of the uh, core values of the Brethren in Christ Church. Uh, many of us this morning were served by uh, a group of youth who got here at 7.30 in the morning and cooked breakfast for us um, and uh, ran out of bacon. Uh, but that wasn't my fault. <laughs> but we had a great time. And, and one of the things that just, just really struck me was how well it seemed that they work together and how well it seems that they get along. And it was just, it was a blessing to me just to see that uh, this morning. And, you know, and I think about, do you ever, anybody ever go out to a restaurant? Nobody, right? Everybody stays at home and cooks their own food, uh, which we actually do a lot more now. But um, one time Wendy and I were going uh, out to a restaurant and we had tickets to a show at Sight and Sound and we were running a little late. Uh, I think it was because our babysitter was late or something happened. And uh, we got to the restaurant and of course there was a wait and then we got our seats and you know, we were telling the waitress, the, the server, oh, you know, we've got these tickets and we gotta really hurry and we gotta this and that. And she did everything that she possibly could to expedite everything and make sure that we got our food and she brought the check when she brought the food and she let us pay the check. And it, it was just an amazing experience. And anybody ever have like an experience like that, just like a really, really good experience at a restaurant with the serving uh, staff? And one of the things, and, and this was probably one of the first times I ever did this, after we paid and we were getting ready to go, I walked up to the, to the server and I said, can I see your manager, please? Anybody ever do that? Anybody ever do, can I see your manager, please? A couple of you have, I know you have. <laughs> and the manager came out and of course the, 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 the girl was there and, and I just, I, I looked at the manager, I said, I just want you to know what an incredible server you have here. You should be giving her a raise. She did, she was absolutely wonderful. And of course, you know, she breathed a sigh of relief because like, oh, I thought I was going to be in trouble. But she did, she did everything. So, and, and it was so just above and beyond what she had to do. And it was almost like she actually enjoyed being there, uh, which sometimes we get servers that don't look, look like they're enjoying being there. But it was just this, this time where she had compassion on us and she cared about us as her customers and she did everything she could. And I see in this church so much caring and so much compassion about everything that happens. I mean, we have people who are leading the music. We have uh, our deacons. We have our uh, trustees. And the trustees, really, we, we hardly ever talk about unless something is wrong. 
right? We, ne we never really talk about the trustees unless there's a broken toilet or the heat's not working or there's a leak in the ceiling or something. And of course, the trustees take care of all that. But they take care of all of that. And they do so much to make sure that we are uh, able to be here to be here comfortably without anything falling down on our heads. Um, and just, I am so thankful for the service that the trustees put out, the deacons, the, the people who, uh, you know, come up here and do children's story. It's just such a wonderful experience just being here and, and experiencing that loving compassion and that service that I gotta be honest, you don't always see at some churches. A lot of people, they, they say that 80% uh, of the work in a church is done by 20% of the people. That's, that's kind of a truth that I've heard from pastors. And it just blows my mind that 100% of the work is done pretty much by 100% of the people that walk in the door. And I am just so blessed that, that we have uh, everybody who is, is being involved. And we are, we're going to talk about the Brethren in Christ core value number seven, which is serving compassionately. And it says that we serve, we value serving others at their point of need, following the example of Jesus Christ. And this isn't about getting served at a restaurant. And this isn't even necessarily about getting served at church. And we do, we like to get served and we like watching people serve and we like serving ourselves. But we're talking about people in need. We're talking about people who may have very little to eat. People who may be having some sort of uh, emotional or, uh, or mental issue that is causing them to hurt, that is causing them to not be able to live lives like a lot of us live. And service is an action that God has encouraged since the start of creation. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we read, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And this word helper here isn't like somebody that is going to be the help. Right? And I think a lot of times in the 20, 19th and 20th centuries, it was like, oh, the, the woman's place is in the home. She's supposed to help. She's supposed to serve. But the word here for helper isn't that. It is somebody who is compatible with the other person. God created Eve to be compatible with Adam, to be able to serve Adam's needs just as Adam was serving hers. And that's the kind of service we're talking about. And it's the same kind of help that we read in Psalm 121. And it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And it is this godly help. God knew from the beginning that human beings needed to help each other. We needed to be together. We needed to be in relationship with each other, whether that's a married relationship or a friendship or a congregational relationship, which is kind of like family. But God knew that we needed other people because God knows that there are times when our lives are going fine and we have the strength and we have the ability and we have the resources to help other people. And God also knows that sometimes our lives are not fine. Our lives might be falling apart. 
And it's at those times where we need that service, that help that God has created. And God gave instructions to his people. He's given instructions to his people ever since the beginning. And in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 to 10, God gives some instructions to the Israelites. And he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. And we got a couple of farmers here. You know what we're talking about, right? You don't reap up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. The gleanings are those things that kind of fall onto the ground or maybe are left on the plants after you harvest something. And God says, you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. And just after this, he says, I am the Lord your God. God expects that when he provides for us, that we are going to provide for other people, people who cannot provide for themselves. This is why this is an instruction to the people of Israel. God is saying, don't be selfish with what I have given you. Make sure you're taking care of other people too. And he gives instructions even about lending and borrowing. In Exodus 22, 25, 27, he says, if you lend money to any of my people, with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, that means that your neighbor says, hey, I know I owe you something. Here, take this until I can pay it back to you. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering. And it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. God gives a lot of instructions about how we're supposed to treat people. And he gives us those instructions because he will hear because he is compassionate. And that's what God says to his people Israel. In Isaiah 42, we start reading about what's going to happen in the future to the people of Israel. God starts talking about the Messiah. He starts talking about this people who are going to, or this person who's going to rescue Israel who a lot of times in the Old Testament, if you have read the Old Testament, you know that God calls them poor sometimes. God calls them in need. God calls them sheep without a shepherd. And he starts talking about Messiah. And in Isaiah 42, he says that Messiah is going to be a servant. And in chapters 49 and 50, he talks about this servant and he says that this servant is going to Bring God's salvation. And in Isaiah 49, 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's salvation is not just going to be for Israel. God is providing this compassionate servant. He is sending this person to save everybody. 
And in Isaiah 53, we read more about this servant. We find out that he will suffer for the sake of bringing that salvation, the salvation of God to all the people. And he's going to suffer for it. And starting in Isaiah 53, he says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This is a description of the person who's supposed to bring salvation to people, and the people are going to hate him. The people are going to despise him. They're going to reject him. And he's going to come anyway. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. This is a servant. Can you imagine being given instructions by God? That you're going to go and you're going to do some work for him. Not even necessarily the salvation of the world, but just you're going to go and do some work. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be crushed. And you're going to be beaten. You're going to be despised. People are going to spit on you. People are going to hate you. But I want you to go anyway. This is the servanthood that Jesus took on. And this servant, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, we read all throughout the Gospels of his acts of compassion, his acts of servanthood. In Matthew 14, 14, we read, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. A few minutes later, he fed them. 5,000 people. Actually, it says 5,000 men plus women and children. And if there were 5,000 men there, there were probably a lot more women and children. In Matthew 15, 32, Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. First, he comes ashore and he heals their sick. And probably because he heals their sick, they stay with him for three days. And this was not a planned thing. This was an impromptu gathering of people who just heard that Jesus was coming. And some of them came from great distances. They didn't bring a lot of food. And they'd been there for three days and they were hungry. And Jesus fed them. And a few verses later, in verses 36 to 38, we read that Jesus fed those on whom he had compassion, 4,000 men plus women and children. 9,000 people, Jesus met their needs where they were. Jesus fed them. But of course, Jesus' greatest moment of compassion was when he was one-on-one -on -one with people. He had great compassion on the crowds, but when he was one-on-one -on -one with people, when he got into their lives and ministered to them, this was the greatest compassion that I can read in Scripture. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus saw a funeral procession coming through one of the towns where he was. And he saw the mother of the man who had died. And she was a widow. And this is 
important because the son, the man who had died, was probably her only support. She would have been childless. She would have been husbandless. And she would have had nobody to take care of her in her old age. And in Luke uh, 7.13, we read, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. He understood what she was feeling. He understood what she was going through. He had great empathy for this woman. Then he came up and he touched the, the funeral beer, the funeral uh, arrangement that was there. And the bearers stood still. They stopped. And Jesus said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Talk about knowing exactly what somebody needs at that time. Jesus gave this man back to his mother. And over and over again, we see Jesus serving people compassionately. And all these times that he, that he serves them one by one, we see people being healed. We see people being fed. We see people rising from the dead. Jesus is showing his compassion to these people. Probably one of the greatest examples Jesus gave to his disciples, though, came on the night before he died. His disciples were gathered in an upper room of a house so that they could celebrate the Passover that was going on at the time. And we read this account in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. We're not going to read all of it, but we're going to read a little bit of it this morning. In John 13, 1 to 5, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. John, the author, is setting your expectation here. This is Jesus we're talking about. Jesus, who came from God and is going back to God after he dies and is resurrected. That Jesus rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel he tied it around his waist then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him foot washing was a huge custom in jesus's time when people wore sandals sometimes they didn't even have sandals to wear they had just had basically like thong straps with a little piece on the bottom, they would walk around and their feet would become filthy. Their feet would be filled with dirt and grime and mud. And animals walked where people walked, so there would be other things that they would be walking through. And when a guest entered a home with these filthy, dirty feet, the host would have his servant, usually the lowest servant, the absolute 
rock bottom servant. And he would say, wash my guests feet. And the servant would grab a bowl and tie a towel around his waist and start washing the feet and wiping it with the towel. This didn't happen. This didn't happen when Jesus and the disciples gathered for the Last Supper. It was just them. Nobody thought to wash people's feet. So Jesus did it. Jesus got up and he washed the disciples' feet of the dirt and the grime and the dung and everything else that was on them. And he did it despite the protests of some of the disciples. Peter looked at him and said, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't, then you have no part of me. Jesus washed their feet. And in verses 12 to 16, we read, why? When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place at the table, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Truly, truly. And we've said this before. When Jesus says truly, truly, when he says it twice, that means pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus didn't just tell the disciples that they should serve one another. Oh, you should be kind, and you should throw potlucks, and you should make breakfast for people. All of those things, great things, wonderful things to serve other people. What Jesus was saying, though, was you need to get down on your knees, and you need to get your hands dirty. You need to be willing to be the lowest of the low of my servants because I was just the lowest of the low for you. This is what Jesus is talking about. And the Brethren in Christ Church, we still practice foot washing in honor of this event in Scripture. And Morning Hour Chapel holds an annual foot washing and communion service on the Thursday before Easter, at least for the last few years, except when we weren't around for COVID. And if you've never been to that service, I got to tell you, it is a powerful service. It is just an incredible, an incredibly humbling thing to watch someone washing your feet. And it is just incredibly, I, I don't even know the word for it, but it's just incredible to be able to wash the feet of another person. But as much else that Jesus did, foot washing wasn't really about foot washing. It was an example, just like communion is a remembrance, and he asks us to do those things in remembrance of him. Foot washing is not just about foot washing. It's about what the idea is behind it. Jesus showed his disciples that there should be nothing 
There should be nothing that we are not willing to do for our fellow human beings. There is no amount of humility that is too much. There is no amount of filth that is too much to help somebody clean up. If we are disciples of Jesus Christ, and throughout his ministry, Jesus showed his disciples, and that's us. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, he's talking to us. And he says that it is our job on earth to serve others with compassion. And he means every other. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they've done. Jesus calls us to serve everyone with compassion. And in Matthew 25, he tells us why this is so important. Jesus speaking of the last days here in Matthew chapter 25. He's talking about when he will come back to judge the nations. And he tells us this. He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the writer says, these people are confused. They have no idea what Jesus is talking about. When were you hungry and we gave you something to eat or thirsty or naked or a stranger or sick or in prison? When were you any of these things? Jesus, I don't understand. And the king will answer him. King Jesus will say, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You did it to your Lord and Master. You did it to the one who knelt in front of your filthy feet and washed them. You truly became my disciples. You served those people compassionately. And when we show compassion for our fellow human beings, we are showing our love for Jesus Christ. And we're showing it in the most public way possible. How many of you feel comfortable getting up and preaching? Anybody? Oh man, I was hoping. But <laughs> how many of you feel comfortable walking down the street and walking up to somebody and saying, can I talk to you about Jesus? Can I tell you what he's done in my life? How many of you feel comfortable having somebody come up and hold their hand out and ask you for money? Not a lot of people feel comfortable with that either. And I've told this story before. Wendy and I were in Philadelphia one time. And we were walking down the street. And this turned out to be one of the worst days of my Christian life. Because there was a man came towards us, was asking for money. And I felt that I heard God tell me to give him the $10 that was in my pocket. And I didn't. And that has stuck with me to this day. I was not obedient to God when he asked me to serve another person. And do you know why? Because I believed the lies that we tell ourselves. 
He's just going to drink with it. He's just going to go buy drugs with it. He's not going to do anything good with it. That's not what God told me. All he said is give him the ten bucks. And that's when I realized when God tells us to serve others, it is not for us to decide who deserves to be served. It is not for us. When God says, serve that person, when God says, go visit that person in prison, or that person in the hospital, or give this person $10, or take a meal over to this person, it's not for us to decide whether they deserve it. It is for us to be obedient to the call of Jesus Christ. Jesus talks about all of these things. Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, visiting the prisoner. But the one thing that binds all of these actions together is this. And this is the last part of that brethren in Christ core value. It is that Jesus wants us to meet people where they are. Jesus doesn't say wait until the prisoner is out on parole and then invite him over for a cup of coffee. Jesus says go to the prison and visit that person and minister to their needs. And for most of us, that's a scary, scary idea. I don't want to go to a prison. TV makes it look really scary. But that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Jesus isn't calling us to wait for the person to come home from the hospital. If Jesus says, go visit that person, go visit that person. Yeah, but I might catch whatever they have. Jesus said, go visit that person. And I know it's scary. Service can be scary sometimes. The last thing I want to talk about is how do we know? How do we know what people need? How do I know if somebody's hungry? How do I know if somebody's thirsty? I can pretty much tell if they're sick and I know when they're in prison. But how can I tell? The only way I can tell is by looking at them. The only way I can tell is by being involved in their lives. And this is something that I believe that the church as, as a universal has sometimes fallen down on. We are very good at giving money to problems. We are very good at sending a check to feed somebody or to clothe somebody. We really don't like watching people be hungry. That's why there are so few people that go downtown in Harrisburg on a Saturday night and pass out food and blankets and clothing to people. We don't want to see it. We know it's there. We don't want to look at it. And when we don't look at it, we can ignore it. And eventually when we ignore it, we won't do anything about it. We have to start getting involved. We have to start looking people in the face and loving them. All people. James 2, 15 to 16 says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, 
and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body? What good is that? What good is that? When we ignore, when we try to figure out ways to not see people in their need, we're doing this exact same thing. Go in peace. Be filled. Be warm. Hope everything works out for you. What good is that? This passage shows that blindness that we might have to people in need. And our mission as Christ followers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that God provides. God provides food. God provides clothing. God provides shelter. God provides love. God provides mental health, emotional well-being. And he does it through us if we're willing to obey, if we're willing to say, yes, I will give that man $10. I don't care what he does with it. God, you're going to see what he does with it. That's what we're called to. It's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus taught. It's what Jesus asks from all of us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this time that we can gather and worship. We thank you for all of the people in our congregation that have the hearts of service that help us to worship on Sunday mornings, that reach out to those who are sick, that reach out to those who are in need. And we thank you for those people that bring those needs to our attention. Father, help us to open our eyes. Help us not to be afraid to get involved in people's lives. Help us not to be afraid to answer when you call for us to do a service to someone else. Give us the strength, give us the courage. But Father, most of all, fill us with the compassion of Jesus Christ. We thank you for his compassion, we thank you for his love, and we thank you that you sent him to be our salvation. Thank you, Father. Amen. As you leave here this morning, as you go out into your walks of life this week. Ask God to open your eyes to the needs of the people around you. Some of you might be surprised to see how great of a need some of your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your fellow students might have. And then ask God to show you how you can help, how you can serve compassionately. God bless you this week.